0: What's up, family? Welcome back to another episode of Progress Over Perfection by Future World. This show is an ever-evolving audio exploration of earth-friendlier projects in fashion, footwear, and design, and with the people, brands, and organizations behind them. I'm Bob Marshall, Future World's executive editor, and as always, I'm joined by our co-founder and editor-in-chief, Daniel Novetta. Daniel, what's up, big homie? What's happening, Bob? Not much. You know, it's that time of year. Christmas gifts, you know, we're buying sneakers for kids, creating monsters, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Whew.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, the thing I think I get the most excited about at this stage in my life is pulling out the vegan cookbooks and trying to convert people in my family and friend groups to a better way of eating and a better way of consuming as opposed to uh, carrying a 28-pound butterball. <laughs> turkey through the supermarket that's been sort of injected with hormones to feed people. Yeah. But yeah, on that uplifting note.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I get that. My father has become, you know, he's he's experimented much more with his holiday cooking, you know, once I went vegetarian. And so he had to get a little more creative because my mother wasn't happy with, you know, there was limited options. So I wasn't eating as much. So She had to scold him to kind of get him to learn and kind of figure some things out. So it's crazy. But, you know, I guess everybody kind of gets creative now at the dinner table because everybody has different food restrictions or likes or dislikes. My brother, I don't think, ate turkey or anything other than like steaks till he was like probably 20. He's a weirdo.
1: Well, I do want to say for anyone looking for great recipes, this is totally not sponsored or anything like that, I swear. My old friend, Gaz Oakley, really has some great unlocks in his cookbooks. Facts. Yeah, I mean, I love cooking from his recipes. So if you're looking for a way to feed your friends and family for the holidays, again, not sponsored, just sort of preaching as the converted,
0: Gaz Oakley, look him up. Terrible sponsored content. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Should we get into today's episode or do you want to pitch another recipe?
1: No, Bob, I would love nothing more than to get into today's episode. Awesome. Which also is vegan-friendly.
0: There it is. So on today's episode, we're joined by MycoWorks co-founder, Philip Ross. Now, MycoWorks is a biotechnology company that specializes in the creation of mycelium-based materials. If you've visited the digital pages of Future World at all over the last two years, you've likely read about a mushroom leather product, a coat, a bag, a pair of sneakers. Mushroom leather, however, is a bit of an oversimplification as it's more accurately a mycelium-based material. So mycelium is the underground, root-like structure of mushrooms that lives and feeds off of other organic matter. Under the right lab-controlled conditions, mycelium can be grown into sheets that can mimic the look, feel, and durability of animal-derived leathers. For Mycoworks, this creation is called Reishi. Mycoworks, soon to turn 10 years old, has grown alongside his flagship material. In a time we've launched Future World nearly two years ago, We've seen Michael Works collaborate with the likes of Hermes, Heron Preston, and most recently, General Motors, where the two are exploring the possibilities of using mycelium leather in their cars. In our interview with Philip, we talk about how Michael Works found his beginning in the art world, particularly Philip's art, how Reishi is changing industries, the power of collaboration and storytelling in changing Afro set industries, what's next for Michael Works, and so much more. So, without further ado, here's our interview with Michael Works co founder, Philip Ross and his cute little puppy.
1: Well, Phil, thanks for coming on the show. I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and explain MycoWorks and the technology for anyone that is entirely unfamiliar. Great, thanks for having me. So
2: MycoWorks is a California-based biomaterials company, and we grow fungus tissue to make a product that is called reishi, and we call that fine mycelium. It acts and smells and behaves a lot like animal leather, and that is the thing that we are focused on right now. We were founded almost 10 years ago, and now we have a pilot facility here in the Bay Area of California, and we are building a full-scale industrial production plant in South Carolina in Union County to produce millions of square feet of this material for fashion industries, automotive, all the places where animal leather is currently used. And our material can be grown in less than a month and uh, uses a lot less resources, energy, water, all those kind of things to produce that in comparison to
1: animal or plastic leathers. Uh, so that's what Microworks does. Amazing. And just out of curiosity, are you a problem solver by nature? Or did you come to this because you're vegan and you care about having non-animal derived products in circulation? What was the sort of catalyst? It was not by any intention
2: to do any good at all. So it's more, I think, a matter of the circumstances of Timing in history and outlook about materials. This experience with mushrooms for me began about 30 years ago. And I pursued this as a medicine and then as an art material and as a way to teach things a lot of things about mushrooms. And I pursued them into a lot of different areas. And one of them was to learn about how they are constructed materially, how the organism, its different parts and compositions come into being. And so for me, it was really an exploration of getting to know the organism over a really long time. And that's just a domestication process that human beings have participated in since the beginning of time, is getting to know another organism, starting to live with it, And then, you know, starting to figure out like, you know, how do we live together? So you end up manipulating the organism and maybe it ends up manipulating you into these different configurations. And then you start to do something completely different when you work together. And that's kind of really the genesis of it. And then 10 years ago, when Microworks was founded, it was founded because all of these corporations were approaching us, myself, and the people who helped to found Microworks. And they were interested in what these things might do for industry. And so Microworks conformed and tried to figure out what (laughs) that product might be that people really wanted that could be made in some realistic way. And so we tried a lot of different things in construction materials, in thinking about how to make things for the sea, uh, things that are like uh, styrofoam, all this kind of stuff like that. And eventually it was this comparable thing to lather that is what industry really wanted and satisfied the needs or the pain that was there. And primarily the rationale was because of supply chain issues, not because of any larger altruistic or ethical concepts. But even before the coronavirus, there were a lot of supply chain issues that were just happening with globalization. And Companies that had been using premium leather for a really long time were having difficulty in guaranteeing that they could get the products that they needed in the time that they needed it. And so MicroWorks was able to satisfy that, being able to create a type of material that these industries really wanted and satisfy the kind of rigorous testing that they needed.
1: Pretty fascinating. I'm always intrigued as to sort of why. And, you know, some people are just tinkerers by nature, and some people are driven by a desire to save and spare animals, and everyone just comes to it in a different way. So I do want to sort of hook everyone that's listening and, and give everyone a little bit of insight into some of the biggest victories you guys have had up until this point because you know, there's been some some big ones lately. So do you want to just sort of like set people up that this isn't just a, a garage project, that this is uh, sort of scaling in a big way? Can you talk a little bit about some of the biggest wins from my go work so far? Sure. Yeah. Well, the
2: first company that we created a collaboration with was the luxury company Hermes, based in France, who make bags and things out of leather. So we created a material that they used for that, and we have an ongoing relationship with them. We just recently announced our work with General Motors Investment Group in thinking about long-term collaboration in creating materials for automotive. And we, earlier this year, worked with the Los Angeles-based hat designer, Nick Fouquet, to come up with these kind of classic Western hats as a demonstration of these things. We've received you know, funding. We've like completed a Series C in terms of our investment, which was for, I think, about $125 million this past year, which is going towards the construction of this gigantic multiple 100,000 square foot facility. And we will be employing over 400 people in um, American jobs and manufacturing here. So that's, I think, like a real great source of pride for everybody in thinking about the economy and, you know, the kinds of jobs that we want to create here in America and probably everywhere in the world, which is, you know, industries that are going to use a lot less resources and are opening up towards industries that have gigantic growth in the future in the bioeconomy. That's just really exciting for me personally, is to see that happening and to actually demonstrate this concept of what's called the circular economy, where the materials that we're going to be taking into our facility in South Carolina are going to be coming from agricultural residues and waste. And we'll be using that. We're going to be using solar energy and hydroelectric energy to generate the power for our facility. And then the waste that we make is kind of like this fermented, you know, sawdust or other things like that, which then have a value as being added to animal fodder as a nutritional supplement or into compost for soil. So it's sort of like, you know, this demonstration of how you can do that and also create jobs. You know, we need to build a gigantic plant with cement and steel and all that sort of stuff that has these, you know, outgoing effects into into the economics and the reality. And then even into, you know, the training of the folks is we just see this as just a gigantic opportunity in education sectors as why we need to study both the humanities and biology. You know, it's like not having to choose between STEM and STEAM, but there's actually this valuation in both. I will say that I have a puppy in the background here and that, that whining is not my stomach. It is a 10-week-old there we go. Yes, a 10-week-old other organism
1: I'm domesticating right now. A cute puppy at that. Amazing. Well, I think one of the things that excites me is the supply chain issues that you know, you're know you trying to solve for or provide more streamlined alternatives to, as well as the product. So kudos to you for prioritizing that in the development of what it is that you're making. Uh, To me, it would be counterintuitive if this was happening outside of the States or somewhere at a great distance, which was, you know, continuing to have a massive negative impact from a carbon footprint standpoint on the environment. The General Motors partnership, I find to be super exciting also just because, you know, when these products start to seamlessly be integrated into our lives and it's less of like, everything needs to be announced and accounted for and declared and things just sort of like naturally take the place of and replace more antiquated, less thoughtful materials. I think that's when when we're really winning. So I wanted to ask, you know, there's a lot of discussion around mycelium right now. And I wanted to know why you think that's the case and what is setting Your product apart from the others? So
2: mycelium is an infinitely regenerative material. You know, it's not like something that you harvest, but it's more like, you know, a sourdough starter or something like that, a fermentation product. So the organism is as big as you grow it. And that's really just dependent upon how much you feed it. And so that's why it's really so interesting is that you can take things that have zero value like sawdust or corn cobs or other stuff that mostly is just left to rot in one form or another and will be broken down by (laughs) some form of a fungus. And so it's to kind of take those things that don't even have value for being burnt, like the energy that they generate is not even of value. And so it's taking this stuff that has, you know, maybe a negative value and then taking it and convert it into something that has great value, like a luxury leather product or an automotive interior or something like that. And so it's kind of capturing the energy that the sun put into it and that we put into it and that we're just going to kind of let it go. And then, you know, before letting it go back into the natural cycle, we're actually like, hold on a minute. We there's still a lot of really valuable sugars and energy in that thing. And Maybe we don't have to burn it for that energy, but maybe we could feed it to this fungus and it will grow mycelium, this tissue, you know, these thread-like cells that join together to make something that feels like leather in one instance of it. So that's why I think mycelium is so interesting. It's just like it, it answers a lot of problems simultaneously. And also, I think it just symbolically speaks to where we're at in this moment in history, you know, culturally, sociologically, materially is like this idea that like actually how you maybe organize things or think about things is part of the solution and you know that there are these things right in front of us that can have great value and it's sort of like looking at rot as a valuable thing so that's a big kind of cultural shift or how to valorize fermentation is i think part of it but you know there's a lot of things in the news that seem to point towards cataclysmic, you know, environmental, things like that. And so people are really looking to find something that has meaning and uh, is maybe pointing towards a future that's realistic. And so mycelium seems to satisfy a lot of those kind of things. Uh, And it's also just sort of mysterious. So you can project into it. And that just allows individuals' fantasies to kind of go a little more... Wild than with some established category of stuff. And then why is our mycelium different than other people's mycelium? So the leather-like product, the fine mycelium, the product called Reishi that mycorx makes, is grown as a composite. And what I mean by that is that we grow these thread-like cells of this fungus through between and within the fibers of another textile that is integrated directly into that living sheet. And so we do a lot with how these teeny little cells join with the fibers of the textiles that we put into there. And in that way, we can control a lot of the strength, the warmth of it, the insulative value, its flexibility, all all these kinds of things. It gives us a ton of control parameters without having to do anything with chemicals or genetics or other stuff like that. It's almost all like material and environment. And with that we just have gigantic flexibilities. And this is why I think we were able to strike this partnership with GM is that we can create materials that satisfy the demands of automotive, which are very strict and uh, you know have to be of the highest safety precautions, and like you were saying, it's like this is kind of a drop in material where it's familiar enough to the designers and the workers that are like, this is kind of like vinyl or kind of like leather. And we can do all this other stuff. We can use the same machines. We can use the same concepts of how to manufacture it without having to alter our own factories or things like that. And then what's also very appealing is that potentially in the future where there is an automotive factory, like we could build an entire leather production facility right there a reishi production facility that is attached to that and is generating materials right there and so the shipping time the manufacturing time all of that is you know those, those costs are as they say taken off the table because you can grow this stuff anywhere and you know what mike works is doing right now with its plant in union south carolina is the first plant and then we have to do some, pretty quickly within the next couple of years we have to build another plant somewhere overseas to demonstrate that we can do the same thing with different inputs, you know, different materials coming in, different labor, different conditions. And that's kind of like the scale at which we're going. Uh, and why is ours different? Other folks' materials, I think, are mainly made through the compression of these sort of cells, almost like taking a soft foam and compressing into a thinner one. And so that's really different in that we don't have to do that. And we can kind of grow it to the qualities that a user might want, our clients can come to us and just say, we want it like this. And then we just grow it to that consistency. And then there's like very little waste. And then even the designers can start to think about the material itself, which is sort of mind-blowing and you can't really do with an animal other than the type of animal and say like i want to use a goat skin in this part and then laminate a pig skin or some other kind of thing and that's sort of like the available stock but with mycelium and with what microworks is doing you can request what it is and then we can grow it like that we can make it bulletproof we can put electronics into it we can just do stuff with it that you know, just would be impossible with other types of organic materials. And that aspect of both control, lack of waste, the designers being able to think about how the product might behave from the material point of view just opens up a lot of possibilities. I don't know that our competition quite offers that, as yet, but again, this whole industry is so young. So it's just like there's space in all directions, is what I would say. It's it's just it's so it's just such the beginning of this entire industry. So it's just sort of waiting to happen. The fungus revolution or fungus wave, deep fungus wave, you know, will probably take the better part of a century or so because we're we're
1: just really beginning. So you use the word competition. I'm curious. Whether you see it as competition against yourself and internally to make the best product possible or whether you look at the other providers who are trying to make the same or a similar product as yours or make a product as good as yours, where do you see competition? Is it within or is it outside and amongst the other companies that are trying to make a product that's as similar that can quote unquote compete with yours? I just don't really
2: think that way. I'm very late in my life to being part of business culture or even thinking about being part of any industry. I'm come from the cooking world and the art world, which just have very different qualifications in terms of how, you know, how excellence is perceived. And usually that's through history or past works or other things like that. So I don't always see it as like, um, you know, this battle. And really philosophically where I've come from is, you know, an appreciation of natural systems, which are often mutualistic and collaborative and sort of don't have those hierarchies quite often. And so like, that's my perverted view of industry, you know, which is just not maybe typical, but to answer your question, I think it's like sort of internal, we know, how good these materials can be for instance for you know certain fashion requirements to go into a luxury bag or to be prepared for an automotive application like you have to hit you know over 30 tests quality tests that have to be validated by outside companies and you know they're very stringent and they have to be repeated sometimes hundreds of thousands of times reps you know of folding something or bending something or rubbing a piece of silk chiffon in a high humidity environment against your material to see if the coloring is going to come off on it and then take it down to freezing and then back up to you know high temperatures with humidity and so to hit those marks. And to strike off all those things like that sort of feels like personal best or, or you know, corporate best or something like that. And to be able to do it with organically derived things, you know, that, again, like <laughs> it was grown that way. It just feels like, you know, that blows people's minds. And that's really the satisfaction. And we can see that the gratification really happens when we put our material into someone's hands they can't believe it. You know, it's sort of like they, you know, you, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. And so even our material seems kind of fantastical and maybe not true or not real. And then when people actually see it, you know, it's just to see it, it's, it's so gratifying to see how people react. Cause it's a complete stranger you've never met before. And you're just transmitting this material you're just handing them this thing. You don't have to say anything. And just what they do with that material then And watching their emotions on their face, you know, again, people who don't know anything about material testing, but are just using their innate sense of touch and all their senses, their smell, touch, you know, the warmth of it on their skin, all this kind of things. And that's just like, I don't know if that's competition, but that's sort of like, feels like we hit some mark that we wanted to, and we keep on doing better on it. And it just keeps on blowing people's minds. So that feels like it becomes its own passport. And so to keep on making it better and put it in in front of more people's faces, the competition is to get it into the world as a thing and for people to believe it and for it to become even more <laughs> wants to be a real boy. And it's sort of like, you know, to become real is in part a social thing. To take the Pinocchio concept a little further, it's like if you are accepted by your peers, then maybe that's all it takes to be real. And so, like, this thing is real. It satisfies these material things. But then it's like that part of convincing people of its reality. And, you know, you don't have to be vegan. You don't have to care about the environment. You don't have to care about any of that stuff. It's just like a thing where you have an instinctive reaction to it. And so, for me, it's like that's the competition to be real, to be a real material. And so, that's not clear as a pathway as far as a business description because that's almost like an anthropological or again like a, a you know sociological construct because it's like what is this new thing it's a fungus it's weird what does that even mean fungus leather and then to just have a reaction to it because i think that it's very telling we bring our material to these luxury fashion situations with people who've been working in the fashion industry for decades and are hardened, tough fashion executives and people who decide things and write about various things that are important to these industries. And when we put our material in their hands, the same thing happens. And I don't know what that person's idea of the future is it's probably different than what mine is, but they suddenly believe in that future that they think about. They believe that they can live in the future that they imagine. And our material helps in part of that transition. And so when we tell our stories, it's very important to remember, not everybody imagines the same future. We all want to live in the future. But what that means is different to each individual. But that's sort of the thing. It's like, so we don't have to even talk about what that future is it just opens up for them when you give them something that seems credible and so they're like okay i can live in that future i could live with this material Then this would satisfy so many of the things that i i think are comfortable or want
1: you know you mentioned a little bit of what sort of the waste process is like but there's been a lot of criticism about materials companies leaning into plastics when they're making their products Like, is it all natural? Does it return to the earth without any sort of plastic traces, or is there some sort of traces of plastic in the material when it's finally formed? We make our materials to the specifications of our customers. So we
2: make our material in the ways that we hope to encounter them, which is without chemicals that are going to be harmful, without processes that are going to be dangerous, all that sort of stuff. I believe that to create a product for any sort of usage that there is usually what's called an aniline coating, which is a thin piece of plastic. We don't do that. But in order to make products, that is the contemporary standard. And I don't think you're going to find any material that will have durability or lasting without something like that. I cannot attest to that because I just don't have that sort of data. I think it's important, though, to understand that these things are all emerging. And the fact that we can produce a material with, say, 90% less energy or material inputs. And it's it's really important to think about the transition from a petroleum-based economy to a bio-based economy and how that's going to happen. But that's going to take a really long time to occur realistically so i think it's really important to think about the transition from a plastics-based economy to one that's a bio-based economy where we can grow a lot of the same kind of stuff but that process is going to take a really long time because all of the investment that went into creating petroleum like several trillion dollars has been invested into those industries to make things like plastic coatings and styrofoam and all that stuff that we find kind of, you know, not so interesting these days, like as cheap as possible. And so it's going to take a huge amount of investment across the entire economy, the bio-based economy, to have all these things to replace this stuff with the lifestyle that we expect. And it's also... You know, there's so many other aspects of the world that have to change along with that. Where are priorities about materials? Like, how do we want them to last? How do we want them to be distributed? How do we want them to be reintegrated into some sort of materials? And that stuff is just not set up yet. So I think everybody has to be kind of patient as we move towards that, because it's just going to take a really long time to build out the infrastructure and all of the capacities that are required to get to that place. And so the good thing is there is so much room for everybody who wants to get involved because this is going to take the better part of a century. So that's like many generations down the road of people to get involved with making these new kinds of materials and figuring out how to make stuff cheaper, more easily, and with less energy all across the board in everything that we consume, from food to transportation to our housing to just everywhere. So You know, Microworks is just one small company working on this one little product, but uh, there's something like 4 billion square feet of animal leather or leather analogs that are used every single year. And that's just gigantic. And we're building a facility that's going to make a couple of million square feet a year. So that gives you some idea of how much more has to happen before there's a realistic way to replace plastics.
1: Well, the good thing is this show is called Progress Over Perfection, not Perfection Period End of yeah. Sentence. You know? Yeah. Because we understand that there's an evolution that is occurring that needs to take place, that the goals can be as lofty as everyone can write about in a caption on Instagram. But what are the realities of getting to that ideal, that pure sort of solution, that literal perfection, which I just think, you know, if if we sit and wait for that moment to happen, or we all agree that we're not getting behind anything until that moment happens, we're going to be stuck in the same sort of pitfalls that we've been in up until this point. So I think encouraging progress is, is where we're at from a mentality standpoint perfection is the enemy of the good of course
2: yeah and also i just think of like waiting for superman you know it's just like superman ain't going to show up you know it's like we just have to rise up and do it ourselves that's the thing no one's going to provide the solutions other than ourselves and that just takes creativity and application and a lot of time and you know it's not going to happen overnight yeah i've been working with mushrooms for over 30 years And as I described earlier, it was just not really a pathway towards thinking of any sort of solution. And so there's probably like a ton of solutions with other folks and in other areas and in other cultures and other languages who don't even know what they yet have to contribute. So, you know, it's just like, it's going to take again, like a really long time and not just uh, one company coming up with a new material, like it's across the culture of where our priorities are and how we want to live into the future and create futures that are worth living in. And that's for everybody to participate in. That's what's really interesting about the kind of mushroom communities, these what are called mycology groups, that just kind of sprout up, you know, wherever somebody is interested in growing mushrooms, like they might go out and look in the woods and start to look for mushrooms. And then that might get them interested in the parks around them or the water around them. And then they meet up with an ecologist and then they meet up with somebody who's like fermenting beer or doing something else like that. Those people just kind of start to meet each other. And then they realize like, wow, we're all interested in these kind of things. And that's what I see happening right now. And those folks are just incredibly locally oriented of like figuring out, What's around them? Who are the people around them? Where are the resources around them? Who are the people that they can collaborate with or share some kind of interest or overlap in the Venn diagram of (laughs) whatever mushrooms constitute these days? And so I think that that seems so positive to me as a way of trying to meet up with like minded people. Like that's incredibly powerful. You know, that is medicine. And so as far as positive things go, I think that that's always like the best way to get involved is to find folks around you. Who you can regularly meet up with and, uh, you know, and share something, uh, some concern about the place that you actually live in right where you're at. You know, I live in a city here in San Francisco um, half the time. And like there's mushrooms growing out of lots of the trees right here in the city. And there's all these people thinking about mushrooms in the city. And then when I go to the country, there's tons of people there thinking about mushrooms and it just leads into completely different worlds and different cultures. And then when I travel wherever I go, like across the United States, across the world. Like I meet up with these same communities of folks who are like, you know, just like interested in mushrooms and interested in stuff around them. And it's awesome because in these days of like political or seeming political polarization and fear of other, fear of immigrant, fear of people from another culture, it's so great to be able to go places and just find people. And be able to talk to them about shared concerns and shared interests that don't even seem political at all and just can talk about the stuff that you're eating or what you're wearing and all these other just like really normal things that you know feel very positive. And it's easier to get aligned with things that are positive than things that are negative in terms of duration. Uh, That's for sure. It has to feed you in some kind of way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've spoken a lot about you know, in my personal past, being around the, you know, the music scene, the hardcore music scene, and the veganism and the straight edge sort of mentalities and the hypergraphic, you know, films that were being showed at the merchandise tables, etc. And that sort of harsh approach did not convert me then. And now here I am 20 years almost 30 years after going to those shows and being exposed to that initially. And I'm, you know, now I am vegan. Now I don't drink. <laughs> you know, I am, you know, very sort of simple and disciplined and and found my way to those same things. But it was through sort of, you know, discovering the information on my own and finding a way into it via a warmth as opposed to a harshness. So I certainly... I certainly, you know, that's sort of the tone we've, we've tried to take with Future World also. For us, storytelling and messaging is a huge part of what we care about and what we think is hopefully going to help move the needle as opposed to these products just existing in a void. And so I'm curious, when you look at Reishi and the products you're developing, do you think that the marketing around those things is relevant to how they're going to be able to scale and be adopted or do you just believe that through effective partnerships and thoughtful partnerships that the product will speak for itself and it doesn't need to be marketed in the same way like a sneaker would. Like You don't need to get Steph Curry to endorse the product and do big marketing campaigns because I'm always looking at these types of material evolutions, developments, etc. And I never feel like there's a lot of creativity around how they get presented to the public. They just sort of exist in press releases and there's not like an engagement with the consumer in a big way. They just sort of find their way into products and people it feels like are hoping that they're going to be adopted. So do you believe that the product stands for itself and through partnerships, it'll scale? Or do you think that there's a world where companies like yours and others need to start to extend themselves into creative storytelling and marketing? Storytelling is incredibly important for us. And I think for this entire
2: industry, again, because most people are not very familiar with it, or understand it. We have always approached it from a sense first experience of how people feel about this. You know, again, like uh, literally, like how does it? <laughs> what does it smell like? What does it feel like against your skin? What is its texture? Those kind of things. And our clients don't want to talk about specific technical aspects of their manufacturer that's not necessarily what they're interested in. And the people who are buying it also, that's part of it, but it's not really the primary concern. So I think um, a lot of folks who are material manufacturers are maybe business to business. So they're used to a kind of language or description or thinking about how you have to have these conversations. But for most of the rest of the world, they don't want to talk like that so it takes a lot of work to figure that out like how do you present something brand new to people that they've never experienced before and so you know we, we think about that a lot we do have brand partners and we are working with brand representatives because that's very powerful to convince people of the reality of something so you will see more of that into the future. And that there also just has to be a lot of different stories, that it's not like there's one story. I'll give this example. So there's this Michael Pollan book called How to Change Your Mind. And in it, he describes the power of psychedelics, being able to cure a lot of great psychological problems, people who have PTSD or great addictions to alcohol or drugs or other things like that. And that psilocybin mushrooms, um, psychedelic mushrooms, are almost a miracle cure. And so I had been talking to family members about this via Paul Stamets and my own exposure to these things, you know, like reading literature and understanding these effects from what scientific research had been going on and been talking to these family members about this for the better part of a couple of decades. And then Michael Pollan comes out with this book and it's like they could suddenly hear it because it was in a language that they understood or that they accepted. And even from a family member who had been talking to them for a couple of decades about this, they needed to hear it in a different voice. And so it's like, you can take that personally, like, why won't they listen to me? But that's not the good, you know, business sense of thinking about each person is different. Each person has to be addressed with a different story and even in Michael Pollan doing that, it still is a very small part of the population. And most of the population is still not heard about it. Maybe when some celebrity talks about it, then a billion people will suddenly hear about it rather than the hundred million who currently, or whatever that smaller factorial of the of the earth's population right now. I just think about that. So as we are telling our story or as this industry, it's like, man, you need to tell these stories in a lot of different formats. In a lot of different ways, in a lot of different languages, in a lot of different cultures, to a lot of different age groups. And that's also just so interesting to me. And when you think about these industries, it's like it needs so many creative people for storytelling. And so, like, if you have a creative background, like, <laughs> we don't need to design a better mushroom brick. Like, that's maybe not where your creative energies might go. But it's like really in thinking, like, there's all this other stuff of the creative needs of describing biomaterials or, or describing this future that that will have biomaterials, so that people will move into that future <laughs> and will set up shop there and feel comfortable about it because they can start to tell the stories themselves. And that's the magic of stories: is that people have to start telling them. And so you have to tell a story that people want to tell themselves. And very few people tell the story of eat your broccoli, it's good for you, because it doesn't work. And it doesn't work with anyone. And so this industry is rife with broccoli.
1: And people got to get off of that, uh, if they really want to reach the broader perspective. Well, I think sort of what I mine out of that answer for the purposes of the final question, (laughs) yes, is, you know, creating multiple touch points in hopes that one of those touch points explodes or multiple explodes in the same way. This book obviously has really sort of like taken on a life of its own in recent months. I think the Netflix thing helped with it because that conversation had been going on for a while and the book's been out for a while and he's been talking about psilocybin for a minute. So I see you guys creating these touch points with companies like General Motors and companies like Hermes, which are two completely opposite universes. And hopefully those are touch points that gain major traction. And so job well done there. I think the last question I want to ask, because you've done a great job of being so candid and not rigid in any way and and open is what challenges when you look towards the future as you embark on creating your own facility here in the States. And, you know, you mentioned that you would then have to do it overseas. What challenges are you looking at as you try to bring this technology to market in the biggest way possible and in the best way possible? What are the things that I don't want to say keep you up at night, but What are the things that keep you up at night aside from the dog? Uh, I've been kept up so much at night. Now I just go
2: back to sleep. It's it's like you you just have to roll with it because there's always some challenge. And that's just sort of the expectation. And so it's like, you know, first, when you start a business, it seems, "Ah," you know, like just these things are huge waves that can roll over you. And, you know, you feel like they're just going to crush you. And then you just realize, oh, this is just the nature of the beast. You have to have a stomach for it to handle all those waves. You know, I mean, like no one's ever done this before. So it's kind of like, hey, everybody, watch this. (laughs) You're kind of like kind of the moment. And you're just like, okay, you better jump off the cliff now into the quarry or whatever, you know, whatever it is you you set yourself up for. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's like we're figuring it out. I mean, the good thing is that like in how I imagine this and how we kind of progressed forward is like this is possible. It doesn't require any miracles or giant technological leaps that don't exist right now, but it was more just like reconfiguring certain concepts of industry, like how we ferment things and grow stuff, usually for like food or alcohol, but also kind of marrying that with the Fordist idea of manufacturing, like mass producing an object rather than mass producing food. We're like, no, you're kind of using the food tech, basically this fermentation technology It's been around for 150 years. And how do you marry that with these just different, you know, just bringing in the quality requirements and the expertise and bringing, marrying these fields together, all these different fields together that have never been married together quite in this way. And so that is like brand new. And the culture of that is new. How to actually do it is new. All all those kind of things. And I think like the major thing is just like patience. Like it's going to take us a while to do this. Like we have to figure out how to get this gigantic plant up and going. And then we have to build another one. And then we have to probably build 10 more. And then there has to be a giant fermentation facility, like every, you know, 150 kilometers, 100 miles on the earth. And like, that's what I talk about this rollout. Like that's going to take a century to build that infrastructure because you're going to be wanting to ferment your house products or your food or drugs or just all these things. You know, God knows how many other companies are going to be born to that have to fulfill all that stuff. So it's like, again, like just patience, like this is happening. That's just the main thing. It's like, it's, it's taken us a while and it's going to still take us a while. And we're, we're dancing as fast as we can. And it's still going to take a little while.
1: Well, we are here for it. And, you know, I think it takes courageous leaders to move the needle. And so as much as I'm willing to have as many conversations as people want to have about the pros, cons, and and everywhere in between, I think that moving away from animal-derived products, trying to make these things as durable and as environmentally friendly and responsible as humanly possible is a tall order. And like you said, we're just at the beginning of it, but it is way more exciting to me personally, than hearing about more pigskin suede on sneakers, and you know how we just sort of literally dispose of animals um, for our own purposes, because because personally, I'm I'm not really interested in a future where we just continue to do that with no sort of compass for how we feel about that. So. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to drop in? I do. It's to kind of go back and
2: address maybe just like the ethics that we follow and also even your statements about veganism. Whereas I say like these materials were not intentionally created to solve any problem, but they were created to think about as a material, as an art material and also as a thing to work with that's not toxic, you know, so that's really kind of, as they say, it's like baked in values. Mm-hmm. Like I was really interested in mushrooms because you could make something and then when you were done making a piece of artwork, when you were done with it, you could just compost it if you wanted to. And it's like the whole thing could just disappear. And so that was just like really interesting to me and you know as opposed to working with paints that have cadmium or made out of plastic or you know you know even if your artwork lasts for 10 years then it's like it's going to exist for eternity as a piece of junk then and so that's kind of where it emerged from and the transition from thinking about animals as a resource or a material like that's also going to take a really long time. And so, you know, it's amazing and great. And again, like to go in those directions, but that also, that transition for human culture, it's so embedded into our values across the earth of how we connect with animals, again, like from a sense point of view and from their values beyond just like, that's also part of it. And so we have to create other things that are just as heroic and nostalgic as animals. And that's part of that transition too. And that's not going to be, again, like eating your broccoli because it's good. It's like eating your broccoli because it's heroic and nostalgic. And so that's, that's the challenge before us is like to figure out how to get to that position as a society. And so that's also going to take a while. And, you know, it's awesome to have positive things to drive you there rather than the negative things to drive you there. And um, people coming together it, again it's like really strong medicine around that so that's where i see you know again the, the values in a lot of this industry
1: yeah me too and i think like this community as far as caring about this type of sort of evolution of these industries in fashion footwear and design and even automotive felt pretty lean like a couple of years ago and i felt like i was having a lot of conversations that I couldn't really find an audience for. And fast forward five years, and now I feel like there's a lot of... Everybody. Yeah, yeah, Everybody. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's willing to talk about it. And brands are willing to celebrate these victories, these incremental victories. And I think we are on the precipice of something much greater. And it finally feels like, okay, the wind is at our back we have to keep celebrating these wins and keep trying to make this progress together and see this community build. Because when we can hit that critical mass, then we can leave some of these antiquated sort of behaviors, hopefully, in the past. The
2: impossible Burger King I can get 10 <laughs> minutes away from. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, that's, it's just sort of mind boggling. Yeah. You know, that that's where we're at from after five years. So it's, it's, it's kind of amazing how mainstream that happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, once it starts to touch the mainstream, we're winning. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it and excited to see what you guys continue to do in the future. Great. Thank you so much. And thanks for all you all do, too. Of course. Our pleasure.
0: All right. So, Daniel, as always, I say this every time we come back from an interview, another awesome, fantastic interview. Loved it. I still want to meet his puppy, but besides that, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from your conversation or just like a favorite point that we dived into? I know we've, we've spoken to other mycelium, you know, centric companies. We've, we've spoken to so many other material companies in this particular season. So what sets this episode apart or what, what were you excited about?
1: You know, Bob, I think that it always feels great to have access to founders and to see the optimism around scaling and to understand that they are strategizing on ways to grow their business. It's not a nonprofit, which I think is worth noting. And we've always taken a lens of positivity in our assessment of technology and innovation, like what we're talking about here. That said... I'm really excited about their growth. I'm really excited about the enthusiasm around the product. And I think that Philip acknowledges the honesty around the fact that this is not a miracle product yet. There's still growth to be done. There's still evolution of the product that will occur. And I think that you know, mycelium is is being parceled out to other brands. And other brands are getting a chance to interpret it for their own needs. And there's there's good in that and there's bad in that as well. I think that across all of these brands, the Pinatex, the MycoWorks, the Bolt Threads, everyone is looking to do better for the environment. And you know, my takeaway is just that they're part of Philip and his team are part of a big amount of options, a huge amount of options, a huge amount of momentum, a huge amount of growth that's happened in this space. And anything that gets us away from animal-derived, abusive, insensitive, archaic, antiquated practices is beneficial. And the other side of that is there needs to still be a mindfulness about how this product returns to the earth I know that that's something that all of these brands are still working on. It's a question that I'm always raising for them. And sometimes there's enthusiasm about what that solution is, and sometimes there isn't. But I just appreciate the the honesty and the willingness to engage with us at Future World. We're trying to help these brands tell their stories. We're trying to help amplify this type of mission-driven work. So yeah, I think it was just a great opportunity to chat with another brand that's a major player in this space. And I look forward to seeing them evolve. And I look forward to seeing the, the puppy grow.
0: Yes, mycelium's growing, puppies are growing. The industry's growing. I think it's very exciting in, in many ways. I think they're choosing some great partners. You know, luxury houses is a great step and a great way to really shape the fashion industry. You go right to the top of the top. Also working with streetwear designers in a very cult-like creative world like Heron Preston, who's really also doing a number of great things. And then General Motors, like that's obviously there's, you know, a lot we can talk about in the negative impact of General Motors, but they also seem like a company that's really driving change. You know, they came out with an electric Hummer. I think there's always just that little bit of push and that little bit of change in, in the right direction and that's you know what we're always excited about so absolutely to see and to read and to hear about all that Michael works has been through over the last 10 years but it goes all the way back to Philip's art days where he was just sculpting mushrooms and mycelium and now now he's trying to get it into into the electric hummer that's insane to see that growth and so hopefully in another 10 20 years you know we'll we'll see the the progression where you know it it will be able to return to the earth in the manner that we kind of expect and hope and in a very real way demand. So very excited. You know, again, this is just another addition to an awesome season with a number of great biomaterial companies.
1: Yeah. And if we could harness the positive momentum and progress of all of these brands that we've had the opportunity to talk to over the course of this podcast, that's where the magic really lies, is everyone starting to share knowledge and unlock their own learnings to get us closer to what sustainable in quotation marks actually means and what that looks like and, and how that's equitable for the farmers, which is stuff that we've spoken about, how it's equitable for the workers, which is stuff that we've spoken about, the environment and how this product returns to the earth. You know, all of these things have to be part of the conversation. So it's great to see, you know, Philip and and his team making, you know, such notable progress. Yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation, staying close to the projects that they are embarking on and continuing to help these brands storytell.
0: Right. So that does it for another episode of Progress Over Perfection. As always, be sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons, smash them. And you can read more about biomaterial companies like Michael Works, of course, on futureworld.com and at futureworld on Instagram. So, Daniel, anything you'd like to add? I know you do.
1: Yes, but before I do, I can't emphasize how important it's going to be to stay close to some of the stuff that we're working on for 2023. We've never been more excited about what the future of Future World looks like. And that's sort of a testament to the enthusiasm that exists in the consumer and the brands in the CEOs in the investment space, etc. And we're going to harness that in a bigger way in the new year. And I think it's going to be a really great time for all of us to just sort of come together and, and finally be able to to really push this Agenda forward in a way that's inviting and welcoming and inspiring. So, the truth of the matter is, if you're not changing something, you're choosing it. Thanks for listening to Progress Over Perfection.
0: We'll see you next time. Peace, guys. Oh,
1: please don't leave.
0: Future World is recorded remotely, and the show is produced by Bob Marshall and Maddie Russell Shapiro. Each episode is edited and mixed by David Rogers Barry. Sydney Pecumpera is our associate editor. Roy Cranston and Troy Vasilicus designed the digital identity of progress over perfection. Our executive producers are Alan Zeldin and Daniel Nevetta. The show is made in collaboration with byt.nyc. Check out the full episode notes and follow us at futureworld.com and on Instagram at futureworld. That's F-U-T-U-R-E-V-V-O-R-L-D. If you like the show, please share and subscribe. Thanks for listening. If you want to be mine